Well, I did a lot of research this week for this message in Vegas. Because it's talking about how to overcome the evil one. I think I was in the epicenter of evil. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting. My dad turns 90 in January, and he wanted to go see um, some Cirque du Soleil shows in Vegas. So Heidi, my sister in Tulsa, and I and Michelle went to Vegas with my dad. <laughs> and uh, we had a good time. We saw some great shows, and everything was good. But uh, golly, whoo. Yeah, you had to come home and shower after that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, you saw on Facebook, it was like, uh, you know, you think you could just like go away and no, nobody's going to know you in Vegas. Well, sure enough, I ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in 35 years. I'm like in CVS drugstore and he's like, I hear, Rusty. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm in Vegas. But yeah, it was a student from our ministry in Dallas. Uh, years ago, a couple of guys, and that was really cool. Uh, this is like part two of a three-part series. Uh, we're in First John, and we've been going through it, uh, and John literally writes this to the church that has scattered around, scattered around the Middle East and Mesopotam- Mesopotamia area, and he's He's literally got people that uh, are Gnostic inside of the church, which basically means they got some whacked out theology, and he's calling them out on that, like they don't think that they sin. But then he's got like true believers that he's writing to. And I think that as he gets to this point, uh, in chapter 2 of First John, the verses 12 and 13, he's, he's talking about three different levels of maturity. He says, I write to you children because you understand forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when he's talking about children, you automatically think about an age. But I don't think he's referring to an age here. I think he's just thinking about maturity. This is mature. So he says, I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers, older than children, I'm writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning and I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. If you take those three, children, young men, and fathers, you typically think three different age groups. But honestly, I think he's just talking about maturity. That I hang out with teenagers on Wednesday nights at my house they're one level of maturity. And then I think about my son and his his small group that he hangs out with. Some of them in the back there. I think about him being a young man, young woman. And then obviously I've got fathers in the room. And as you become a parent, a parent, there's a level of maturity that automatically comes with that as soon as you bring them home from the hospital. And so... I want to focus on, last week we focused on the forgiveness in the children, but today I want to focus on young men having conquered the evil one, having conquered the evil one. 
I want to teach you just this one thing today that I probably didn't learn until I was 36 years old. I never heard this when I was in college or seminary or growing up, anything like that. But it took me a while. And then once I heard it, it took me a while to figure it out. So today, I pray that the Spirit who's in this room, there's the Holy Spirit inside of this room, will cause you to see this and to hear this. 1 John 2.13, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered. You've had victory over the evil one. Now, let's break this down. It's October. We are in the midst of horror flicks at the movie theater. I mean, that's really all that's on at this point of the month. And... uh, Let me tell you this, what Luke said up here uh, about the focus, about the focus, what our focus needs to be. There's not a single reference from Romans to Revelation about casting out of demons. It's not in there. Now, we can get, we can get, uh, you know, precise in our theology here whether there's possession, whether there's oppression, whether there's what, I, I don't know. I just know that there's evil in this world. There's evil in this world. And I'm not supposed to spend my time casting out demons. I'm not. What I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to present the gospel to people that uh, may believe and be delivered from the influence of the evil one, which is what Luke was saying. It's like, give them the word. I'm going to focus on this thing. And all who are in Christ, they have this ability to overcome the evil one. If you believe in Jesus, you have the ability. I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm not, because sometimes I think it's a lot simpler than demons. I think it's a a process that we go through. Let's break this down. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now Paul has indicated that there's three parts to us. There's a spirit, there's a soul, and there's a body. We call that trichotomy. There's some people that will argue a dichotomy that the soul and the spirit are the same and we're not here to argue that point today because he's literally said all three. Our physical being here on earth, the body, that's this piece of flesh that you see right here, it's describing our physical being. We came from dust. This thing came from dust. Remember, Adam was created from dust. And guess where this body goes when I'm done with it? Back to dust. From dust to dust. Now, don't freak out on me and don't go crazy here. Your body is not going into eternity. There is another body, that glorified body that waits me. All right? Now, this includes your brain. Because my brain is a piece of meat. It goes back to dust. And then you go, well, how do we think and process when we get to heaven? Because not only do I have a brain, but I have a mind. I have a mind. And that mind, that mind is eternal. You with me? Like, 
my brain is my hard drive. That's where all the memories here on earth are stored. Just like in your phone, you have a hard drive and all your photos and all your notes and everything else is like stored, maybe even on the cloud. That's the hard drive. And everything is there. You may not be able to recall everything. You can't remember where it all is, but it's the same way with our brains. It's all logged in our brain. But know this, my physical body is only temporary. And, and inside of this body, it's not made perfect. I know you may think that it looks perfect. But this body is not perfect. It was not redeemed when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, my soul, my psyche, is that life force that all living things possess and distinguishes them from the inanimate of the dead. There's something that you can't see. The word is used of life itself as the seat of internal thoughts. The things that are like going, the desires, the emotions, that aspect of life that survives a a physical death. My soul is often described as my mind, my will, and my emotions. And that makes up our personality. My mind, my mind is that of Christ. And I had this question, once I came to know my identity in Christ, I asked my friend Bob Warren, who is with in the presence of Jesus now, but I asked Bob Warren one day, I'm like, is the soul eternal? Because I was trying to like figure this out. And I could see him flipping through all of his verses and everything else. And he says, yes, because in Luke chapter 16, when Abraham and Lazarus are on one side and the rich man's on the other side, and he talks about, he talks about this life after. And there's obviously personality. There's things that have occurred. And if the soul is eternal and it outlasts the body, it has to be redeemed. Like at what, at what point does redemption come to the soul? Is there something that has to occur for the soul to be redeemed? Well, yes, it was Jesus dying on the cross that redeemed my soul. So my soul is perfect. I have literally been given the mind of Christ. And then the third thing that Paul says is the spirit. It actually refers to this breath, this characteristic of life. It's synonymous with soul, and like soul, it's sometimes paired with the flesh and the body. But if you keep it in the context that Paul does here, the spiritual person is one enabled to actually be able to communicate with the divine. That's the spirit that allows me to communicate with God, to talk with Jesus. The natural person lives apart from the knowledge of God. The key distinction there is all about a relationship. Paul was not describing the human person as a three-part conglomerate, but but as being with material and non-material existence who may or may not spiritually be enlivened to have a relationship with God. It's our connection to God. You see, 
break it down, you pretty much know what we teach in here, that you are born with a dead spirit. Each one of us in this room comes from the, the seed of Adam. Galatians 2.19 says this, For though the law, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what happened. I'm born dead. I'm born dead spiritually. My spirit is dead because I came from the seed of Adam. At some point, for me, it was when I was eight years old, I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And it was at that point in Galatians 2.20 happened. I was crucified with Christ. Eight years old. I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So now I'm a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, and who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of a sudden, when I am a new creation, when I am in Christ, my spirit has been made alive in Christ and he's in me. I was born dead, I believed in Jesus, and all of a sudden he made me alive in Christ. My spirit is redeemed. Three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Body's not redeemed, my soul and spirit is redeemed. My soul and spirit has been regenerated. My soul and spirit is eternal. My soul and spirit is what goes to heaven. Not my body, but my soul and spirit. So when I sit here and look at this crowd right here, I see your bodies naturally. I see your bodies. But the truth of who you are and your identity is your soul and your spirit, and you're redeemed. You're holy. You're righteous. You're perfect. That's what I see. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I know what you do. You know what I do. And this is who I am now. It's not about what I do. So this is how the evil one works. If we know that about ourselves, our soul and spirit are redeemed and we're perfect and holy and I see that about myself and I can see that about you, this is how the evil one works. I go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it. I'm no longer the one doing it but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. 
For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. All right, that's a little confusing, right? Let's figure out what it is. You have to figure out what it is. I'm no longer the one doing it. I've told you over the weeks, and just as like uh, John says, anybody that says they're without sin is lying. That's what the scripture says. For him to say in that same, same letter, I'm no longer the one doing it, he can't be referring to sin. So now you have to go figure out what is it. It is those crazy, crazy thoughts that like go through your brain. That's what it is. I'm no longer the one creating those crazy thoughts. But somehow I'm getting these crazy, crazy thoughts. But it's the sin that lives in me. There's this power, there's this power that like lives in me and is constantly sending me crazy, crazy thoughts. Even as I sit here right now, it's sending me crazy thoughts. The evil one is constantly sending thoughts to our flesh brain. How does he do this? This is the application part. How does he do this? He does this through family. He does this through friends. He does this through social networking. He does this through the news. He does this through entertainment. He does this through society. He does this through our senses. The things that I saw this week, the things that I heard this week, and he does this through the flesh patterns in our brain. Remember, everything that you've done over your life is like stored in your brain. So those thoughts can even come from our past experiences. This is how he does it. He can work through all those avenues. So what does it look like? What, what does that look like? Well, it looks like the perfect pictures that are posted on Facebook and Instagram. Your perfect pictures and your perfect Instagram profile. Like, we portray this about our lives, but that's just a portion of our lives. And everybody's like looking at this and going, wow, they got a great life. Oh, wow, they're going through some stuff. Yeah, it's all posted right there. And then, uh, this probably happens more for uh, my teenage girls than it does for anybody, but the whole beauty and fashion part of it greatly impacts their self-esteem and self-worth. I, I raised my daughter, and she would she's still on her phone, and she still sees these things, and she's still, everything about her wants it to be perfect when it comes to Instagram. And it's this, like, pressure. What else does it look like? It looks like self-care. You can do it. You can fix yourself. Self-care. It looks like addictions. It looks like chemical imbalance. 
like some of this can just be physical and that you have to deal with it in your own personal life in your own personal flesh but one of the biggest things it looks like is fear <laughs> fear the you get these personal threads and profiles on your phone all the time and when i, I say that it's like my thread is different than my wife's thread like they literally know what I like to look at and what she likes to look at. What your political views are and what my political views are. And all of a sudden we're getting these different threads right here in our hand. And I'll say this. Quit believing everything you read and hear. I, I, 50 years ago, I don't know if I would have said that. You know, because the textbooks that we had, yeah, they were a little demented. And, but pretty much everything that you read, you, you believed. Like my, my generation growing up. This younger generation growing up, after the internet came along, whew, they're having to like sift through it and I, I I don't know how they they they've got to figure out what the truth is. You got to, and it's probably easier for them now because that's what you grew up with. For the older people in the room, you know, we just believed everything, and so now you open an email and you don't know that spam, you believe it, you know, and that's why they're always susceptible to it. But now you have to be cautious about everything that you. And the conspiracy theories that are out there. It's like every day there's new theories out there. And I'm like, I, I literally looked up what conspiracies have been proven true. And then you actually go on them and they say, here's 10 conspiracies that have been proven true. And you know what? They're still conspiracies. They're just trying to get you to believe the conspiracies. The researchers found that overall people were motivated to believe in conspiracy theories by a need to understand and feel safe in their environment and a need to feel like the community they identify with is superior to others. Conspiracy theories uh, will mess you up. Just let me say this. Elvis is dead. Kennedy was shot by Oswald. And the Astros cheated. We, we, we really have, I said have to, and it changed it to, we must be able to discern what truth really is. Okay, how, how do you do this in this world? How, how do you figure out? If, if we can't determine the truth, then we must learn to trust only the truth. I'm going to say that again. If we can't determine the truth, small t, then we must learn to trust the only truth, capital T. There's only one truth. I don't know when we're going to Israel. We're supposed to leave on November the 28th to go to Israel, 28 of us. I'm hopeful that we're still going. 
and whatever it looks like, I trust him. I, I mean, who knows? I, I have in the past, and he hasn't failed me yet, and I believe that he never will. Trust. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of a trustworthy guy. We were uh, we were on top of the stratosphere, which is like one of the tallest places in the world in in Vegas, and they had that uh, opportunity to jump off, bungee off, but it wasn't open when we were there. I would have done that in a heartbeat. I would have jumped off that thing, and because that's like. They're not going to put you in something where it's going to kill you. That's just the way I live. And it's like I, I, tr- I trust the thing. I trust the – my sister, Heidi, she was like just freaking out being at the top of that thing. And she's like, I'd be throwing up if you jump off that thing. I'm like, it, it's just a, it's, it's a trust thing. They're not doing these things to like kill people, right? It's just a matter like – and I, I, I think that's how how I live my life is just – you just trust things. If the evil one is here to destroy me, either through my choices or other people's choices, I've got to know the game. This is the game. Not every thought that enters into my head is truth. Not every thought that enters my head is truth. And I'm not the one generating those thoughts. He says, I'm not the one doing it. It's the power of sin in me. I'm a new creation. I'm holy, righteous, and redeemed. How could I have possibly generated that crazy, terrible thought? Because there's this power that dwells in my flesh, and it's giving me these thoughts that are just like whacked out. But I'm not the one doing it. I, and then I have those thoughts, and I have, here's the application. I have those thoughts, and I have to filter the thoughts in my brain through my mind of Christ. Is this truth or is this lies? I've said mind of Christ three times already this morning. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says this. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And remember, there's a Spirit that lives inside of us. For who knows a person's thought except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, that Spirit of God that lives in you. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has, freely, has been freely given to us by God. I have the Spirit of God inside of me, and I've been given this ability to think like God. I'm not God, but I have the ability to think like him. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. If you don't know Jesus in this room, this probably isn't making a lot of sense to you. But if you know Jesus in here and you have the Spirit inside of you, this may be clicking with you. Verse 14, it says, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. And then 
Paul quotes Isaiah here. He says, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. I can take whatever goes through my head right here and I can process it. I can process it through my mind of Christ. Is it true? Does it, does it match up with this word? Does it match up with the spirit that's inside of me? And then I make a choice. I make a choice based upon what I process. I either walk by my flesh or I walk by my spirit. That's it. Got two choices. Walk by my flesh, walk by my spirit. I feel like I say this every week. Here's, I'll close with this. Here's a good example of what I'm talking about. What we've been taught versus what the Bible says. I've been taught that I'm a sinner. That's what the flesh says. We talked about this last week. Just wear the name tag of what our sin is. And the reason that we're taught that is because there's one verse after the cross that Paul says to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. He's like literally saying, he, in some translations it says, I am the chief of all sinners. Paul's saying, that's present tense, right? It's present tense. It's, like, I, I, it's as if I'm still the chief of all sinners. And what you have to understand this, here is this, is literally if you take your life as a whole picture, when you're born dead, born dead, the natural man was a sinner, believe in Jesus, then you have a new creation. Paul's looking at his whole life and all the things that he did. In his, before he believed in Jesus, he was literally killing people that believed in Jesus. Paul was killing people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, he's like, who, who's, who's done worse than me? <laughs> no one's done worse than me, but he's looking at his old, dead spirit when he's saying that that's the only passage of scripture after the cross where he's ever referred to himself as a sinner the only one yet i'm taught you know growing up that i'm a sinner and that i need to be saved by grace and continually saved every day i take that one verse and then i look at the truth and the Spirit says this in the Scripture. John 1, 12. I'm a child of God. John 15, 15. I'm Christ's friend. John 15, 16. I'm chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. Romans 3, 24. I have been justified and redeemed. Romans 6, 7. I have been freed from sin's power over me. Romans 8, 1. I am forever free from condemnation. Romans 8.17, I am an heir of God and fellow heir with Christ. Romans 11.16, I am holy. Romans 15.7, Christ has accepted me. 1 Corinthians 1.2, I have been sanctified. 1 Corinthians 2.12, I have received the Spirit of God into my life that I may know the things freely given to me by God. 1 Corinthians 6.17, I am joined to the Lord and am one spirit with him. 
2 Corinthians 1.21, I have been established in Christ and, and anointed by God. Galatians 2.4, I have liberty in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, I am a saint. Ephesians 1.3, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 2.5, I have been made alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship created in Christ to do his work that he planned beforehand that I should do. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God through the Spirit. Ephesians 3.12, I may approach God with boldness and confidence. Philippians 4.7, his peace guards my heart and my mind. Philippians 4.19, God will supply all my needs. Colossians 1.27, Christ himself is in me. Colossians 2.10, I have been made complete in Christ. Colossians 3.4, Christ is now my life. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, I am a child of light and not of darkness. 2 Timothy 1.7, I have been given a spirit of power, love, and discipline. Hebrews 2.11, because I am sanctified and am one with Christ, he is not ashamed to call me his. Hebrews 4.16, I may come boldly before the throne of God to receive mercy and find grace to help me in time of need. Hebrews 10.14, I have been perfected by his one offering. 1 John 3.1, God has bestowed a great love on me and called me his child. 1 John 4.15, God is in me and I am in God. I can keep going and going. Uh, I got one verse over here where he's referring to his old life as a sinner. But I got a ton of verses right here that says I'm totally different. How do you want to look at me? You can look at me for what I do or you can look at me for who I am. How do I want to look at you? I want to look at you for who you are. Not what you do. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven. Because of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you young men because you've had victory over the evil one. We've traveled from the simplest of things of our faith, forgiveness, to one of the least understood issues of the scripture. And that's being victorious over the evil one. You have the ability to overcome the evil one. It says you have conquered the evil one. You have conquered the evil one. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. You have the ability. How does it work? How does it work? Process, truth, knowing the truth. The truth being Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all you got. If you have to filter everything through that, that's what you can trust. Lord, I pray today that you would um, just enlighten your word, that your spirit that is in this room would uh, cause those to be able to see it, to be able to hear it, and just... Uh, trust it that's the hard part is just trusting lord i pray that uh as we walk that you would continually show us what we need to do and that we will trust your spirit and we'll choose to walk by the spirit and i pray these things in jesus name amen